shall we begin? Mm -hmm. If you're a person like me, I go get them. I get what I want. And I think the biggest thing that I suppose I have experienced that I hadn't before was continuing to surrender and accept a picture that looks differently to what you thought it would. I'm Tracy Alexander and welcome home. Home of Sapiens is a place we come to feel better about the world. It's a place to talk about real life in a way that gives us hope that we can move in the right direction. Today's episode is about grief, control and choice. Looking at these universal experiences through the portal of a non-linear fertility journey. I realized my jaw had locked. My whole body had gone into proper fight or flight and I bolted to the toilet and I broke down. Like I just, I couldn't, and I couldn't go back out there and not have the, one of the hardest conversations I've ever had, which was, I'm happy for you and I'm sad for me. This is a real, raw, and sometimes graphic conversation about what it really takes to keep your head above water while working and running your own business, writing a book, raising a child, keeping a marriage on track, all while dealing with the grief of a miscarriage as you're supporting your pregnant friends, losing a high-profile job and with it your quote-unquote work wife, only to then face over and over again the ultimate and heartbreaking reality that there's only so much you can control as attempts to fall pregnant again prove unsuccessful over and over and over. And then having to navigate the limitations of the state medical system while trying to fall pregnant via frozen sperm during a pandemic and never ending lockdowns when your husband's sperm is being stored in one state, that's Sydney, Australia, and your womb, well, that's with you, who lives in another state, that's Melbourne, Australia. And well, the state borders are closed and yeah, if you want a very human conversation about how a person gets through all of that and is still showing up smiling, generous, honest, and supporting hundreds of women attract love and establish self-love, well, I have found the person who can speak to all of that and more. You can't really cry over the person that had cancer or you don't feel like you can. And let me tell you, I've never heard anyone. So the things I'm going to talk to you about now are things that I haven't heard anyone say. That's Stacey June. She's the author of Single Pringle, the founder and head coach of The Well Hub, the columnist for Kids Spot and a former radio host for one of the biggest commercial networks in Australia. But most importantly, She's one of my friends, which makes me a little bit gushy in this episode, because if you're lucky enough to know Stace intimately, you'll know that there is no end to the power of this woman's spirit. But I think you'll see that pretty quickly for yourself. Before we dive in, let's set our intention. Series one of Home of Sapiens is about resilience. We're looking for ways to find more peace, joy and courage no matter what chaos and terror we face or see around us so let's breathe in and breathe out move out of fear and into our hearts this is home of sapiens stace this has been a long time coming I have known you for many years through our media journey when we were out in the sticks of Australia doing our thing. 
And here we are both in a completely different space. Both of us have made the, the shift from, you know, the mass media to now helping people connect to the truth inside of themselves. So let's just start there. I want the real answer. How are mm -hmm. you now? I am, I'm good in this moment. I think if I, I don't know, it's so layered, right? But this week has had so many ups and downs. I'm also, which I'm sure we'll get into, um, I'm on a whole heap of hormones. So that plays in a whole heap of such an interesting thing when you're quite self-aware, you can kind of see it coming and it, it's like you can see that it's synthetic, but it it's very easy to disconnect. I shouldn't say easy, but it felt easier for me to disconnect with the physical pain than it can of emotional pain and hormones tend to more sit in the, the hormonal part, right? The emotional pain. So it's been a roller coaster in terms of that for this week, but I must say right now, talking to you, looking at you, you look radiant uh, and the sun's out in Melbourne. I'm about to go host a full moon ceremony when we're recording this. So I feel really good right now. Good. I'm so glad to hear. And it's really interesting that you talk about that self-awareness because I've been speaking about it a lot with some of my other quote unquote light worker friends, people that work in the healing space. And we always talk about the double-edged sword of self-awareness as you start to get to know more, see more develop these spidey senses it's like is this a good thing <laughs> because now you feel and see it all I know and I think um I think for a long time I was quite aware even as a child I think when you struggle with emotions or struggle internally mentally as a kid you already have a bit of a gauge of I don't know, a very deep internal conversation that isn't always healthy, but sometimes it is, it's just complex. And I think when you have that from a young age, you know that very well, those conversations, uh, but you're not as aware of what they mean and what they are. So you're right. I think, I think they're always there, but then the education can really uh, shoot you in the foot a little. So to that point, do you have to prepare yourself before we talk about what we're going to talk about today, which is your fertility journey, which has not been an easy journey? Mm, I guess in a way I start to prepare knowing it's coming up this week, particularly because I'm very much in the thick of it. I am a person that leads by heart and my, I guess, intuition but I think it's stronger than that with um well not stronger there's nothing stronger than that but it, it's a whole whole rounded team of board members uh, that makes decisions to break from fertility treatment because I need that space to be able to heal and do those things so when you're in it it is different however um I was happy to talk to you because you're my friend and I think it's really important to talk about hard times in them and I've always been very passionate about that um after my miscarriage, I understood better than, well, not better than anybody, but I, I understood why people don't share. And I've never really had that feeling before because my career was built off sharing. Um, however, I still have that in me. It's just probably more considered and I'm, a and I'm at a different stage of my life in terms of my sharing. So I've already been very um, consciously, but kind of, you know, subconsciously preparing to have this conversation, I guess. 
And I so appreciate it because, you know, there's so much that, you know, women want to ask and want and need to hear. Um, and especially from you who really, as we've talked about, is so self-aware and doesn't hide from any of the scary bits. Um, but for anybody who, you know, doesn't feel as if talking about fertility is, is relevant to their lives, what kind of an invitation would you like to give all listeners as we go into a conversation about the realities of the fertility journey? I think fertility, like a lot of things with parenthood and motherhood, definitely fit in one of those societal conditioning boxes. So if you're not trying for a baby or you don't want children or you don't want to have, um, you know, a baby anytime soon, but it's on your radar, a conversation like we're about to have or maybe my experience would feel like something very distant to you. However, just like many things in life that you don't have to be going through, there are themes and feelings and emotions that are involved that we all share. And I think the big headline for fertility uh, treatment and the journey for me would be grief. And I think many of us are able to you know, connect with grief of some form. And so I feel that in this uh, fertility journey that has been almost four years for myself and my family, uh, yeah, there has been such a big level of grief and surrendering. And uh, I think the biggest thing that I suppose I have experienced that I hadn't before was continuing to surrender and accept a picture that looks differently to what you thought it would. And that is probably one of the biggest lessons and the hardest to except because if you're a person like me and for your listeners, I'm sure you don't know what that is, but I go get them. I get what I want. If I have a desire, I come from a heart led place. And as soon as I know it's the right intention, then I fire. And there's not a lot that stops me once I get there. So on this road, I might have a heart led intention, but there is a whole heap of universal conversation that comes into this and a whole heap of science and a, an actual body bodily physicality that comes into this science, which I generally don't like to discuss in any parts of my life, <laughs> because to be honest, before this, I didn't have a whole heap of respect for it, but I, I, because I never really had to deal with it. I just, I manifested everything. And I came from situations where I achieve things that people would not have thought someone from my place or from where I came from or from the situation I was in could achieve. So I wouldn't say I was cocky, but I certainly am passionate about, you know, kind of moving forth with that. So yeah, that's been a very, very big lesson for me and something that has humbled me. Um, and I, I feel is something that everybody can gain from a conversational completely and this is what comes up over and over again which is pr probably one of the pillars of spiritual growth is understanding that you know happiness is when expectations and reality match and how do we find that humility and that contentment and that surrender and all of that when our expectations and reality don't match because 
to be honest, for most of us, <laughs> expectations and reality don't match a lot of the time. And that's where we struggle the most because we're not able to accept and be with and be grateful for a situation that isn't what we have decided, where we put our petulant will of desire, this is how it has to be. And for someone like you, as you say, who is incredibly powerful, who has managed to create <laughs> exactly what they wanted to create, um, we all have to unfortunately come across that lesson at some point. Um, and so I want to kind of start with how it was all going your way in terms of calling in the one when it came to actually meeting Ben, your husband, you really would not settle. You, you waited and you actively called him in, which is a big part of what you help other women do today. So tell me about when you met him and how you knew he was the one that you had been manifesting. I often describe this moment as not a butterfly affair because I think everybody thinks it's a butterfly affair. And I don't know, I, I actually did an event, a Valentine's Day event for singles a couple days ago because that's what my first book is all driven around, finding ways to be comfortable in your solo self. And we discussed this at length around this idea of being completely heart-led and then completely losing your mind but then not being completely in your mind, i.e. this is the type I have and not following what your true desire is. So there's this real combo. And I think when you meet the combo, you're not completely in lust because you, you're feeling lustful. Don't get me wrong. It was pretty magic when I met him, but I also was very, very sure of what I wanted, what I needed, what was good for me and what my expectations were of somebody that I was going to invest long-term in. So then when he ticked all of that, and I, when I say all of it, for Ben, it was pretty much all of it. Like I, I really genuinely had a list. It's called a values list, not a types list, which I talk about in my book and I'm very passionate about. Um, it was every value. I've still got the list and you can look at Ben and you can check it out for yourself. But um, so there was this moment of integration between a manifestation, but also an independent woman who had a conscious decision on the things that she wanted to attract in her life. And it's a funny one because with manifestation, there's this idea that you surrender everything. And, you know, there's this kind of, I guess, very um, hands off approach to it, which is a part of the process. However, intention led um, manifesting is really important, but intention-led manifesting has to come from true intention. It can't come from ego intention or I want him to have certain amount of money or I want this to look like this. Like if you want somebody that's creative, that creative is going to come out in whatever way is supposed to be creative. You don't get to have an artist putting a mural on your new garage like this will look the way it's supposed to and that's a value as opposed to the specific in type so when I met Ben it was almost like a bit of a celebration that everything I was writing on the line of this I guess um, I mean I didn't invent invent the law of attraction but I guess I created for myself this own philosophy around meeting someone it worked <laughs> now that doesn't mean my marriage is not flawed and it doesn't mean that marriage has been easy I think marriage has been the hardest thing I've ever done so that's another chapter but for this conversation 
it was magic and but it was magic from an empowerment and I don't use that word often because I think it's thrown around but it was a grounding knowing not a fleety flirty this feels really good he's really cute vibe like this it was grounded in my womb and it also felt amazing and that's where the good sex comes from the groundingness not the he's hot or she's hot or they're hot Yeah. And I think that's also really important in terms of what, you know, there's a knowing inside of you, but in terms of you, it being right for you, you can't really know what that right is because Ben came in and it felt right. And he came in with a whole host of um, elements that were about to become your evolution right he was bringing in lessons for you so you're like yes this is it right exactly this is it but no it's not at all what I expected it to look like no not sunshine lollipops he is here to expand my soul and to you know bring me face to face with the things I hadn't yet integrated which is what you say like everything goes my way okay what if it doesn't now what um and so that really you know came came to fruition through the fertility journey because when it came to having kids Ben brought in his own um, kind of physical history so tell us a little bit about how that made it not so straightforward Mm. Um, that was a lovely way to put it too the sensitive I'm very protective of the I guess the delivery of that for him Um, so I I appreciate that oh sorry that was my mic I appreciate that Um, yeah, Ben had prostate cancer before I met him and he was 36, I believe. I sometimes get this number right, uh, wrong, um, where he had uh, something happened to him that was quite random. He's, he had a lung collapse and had to call the ambulance and he was partying, you know, 36, living in Sydney. Life was pretty great for him. He was in a relationship at the time. And he decided to have a really hardcore look at his health because he was like, what the F? Like, how did this happen? I was walking, listening to music from a job to another job at work. He's in um, the creative industry as well. And he collapsed. And so he did all of this work. And there was a little bit of his PSA level, which is what they test for prostate, um, that was high. So they put him on antibiotics, second round antibiotics, third round antibiotics. Sure enough, they the guy said, look, you are way too young for this, but I'll send you to a specialist because it would be, you know, it would be irresponsible if I didn't. Um, and sure enough, the specialist, I think they end up doing a more intense test and they found prostate cancer. And pretty quickly he had his entire prostate, pr- prostatectomy, he had an entire prostate removed, um, which meant that he'd no longer ejaculated. Um, therefore there was no way for him to have a baby naturally it was just all done and dusted Um, luckily he had great advice and he did obviously um, samples and organized that frozen beforehand Um, but you know it makes it sound really simple (laughs) that you know I met him and he was well and that's the most important thing and that he had frozen sperm and that's one thing but it's so complex, you know, I, I never in a million years thought it would be complex. So to go back to the time where I met him, he mentioned it to me very sensitively and very um, graciously one evening on the couch. We moved pretty quickly. So I would have imagined it would have only been the second, third date. 
and it was before we'd had sex and made love and he said I I need you to know this straight up and I knew he was the father of my kids I, I knew it like a lioness that had was ready to mate like I I knew it like I was like there's no one you I just knew that more than all of the other stuff like I knew that that was the absolute core and I look at Bryn and I understand why what an absolute spark um but so at the time it was so not a question you know there was a non-issue and there still is a non-issue but the reality of what that brought was very very um has been surprising and continues to be surprising and continues to be surprisingly painful and has so many complexities that I don't think is often shared by a partner that may be going through terminal illness or um, has had their life affected from someone that is ill because you can't really cry over the person that had cancer or you don't feel like you can. And let me tell you, I've never heard anyone. So the things I'm going to talk to you about now are things that I haven't heard anyone say because they're ill and you love them. So However, in order for me to process and continue down this road, I have to be very honest with who I am and hold strong in my integrity. And that means that we have hard conversations in this house. He hears things and I have to work through the guilt he has in the experience that we have to go through, but I still need to honour myself in that anyway. So that is a cluster F and a half and it has been for four years and we've been together for probably most of that we've been down this road we tried for a baby pretty much six months after we got together so it's been a majority of our relationship oh I just was getting chills over and over again as you were speaking Stace and that's just yeah I just I really just appreciate the fact that you are willing to stand out in front and talk about the truth because yeah, it is, it's a clusterfuck. And so just to get us all up to speed in terms of the complexities, in terms of the journey that it has been from trying for a child and then what the fertility journey has been when we talk about the complications. Yeah. I mean, there's many people that have fertility issues and they can come from a range of things. I suppose the really tricky thing to navigate when you're a woman is that it is automatically assumed it's your issue. So there's already that to deal with straight up. We are on currently on our eighth IUI attempt. Uh, We have had two pregnancies. The first time we ever tried for a baby, the first time, just to get graphic, because here we are, Ben's sperm ever met my body, we made a baby. And so we thought there was not a chance in hell that we, that baby would be miscarried because it was a miracle. You know, those odds, that's like a hundred out of, that's like those odds are really quite, and I'd never been pregnant before either. A lot of other women may have had pregnancies and maybe um, terminations or had different experiences. And, you know, that's absolutely in their right to be able to make those calls. And perhaps I would have, if I had a fallen pregnant, but I'd never fallen pregnant. So um, it was a bit of a miracle. But I also want to just give a bit of graphic detail as to when you say, because you mentioned because of, um, you know, the, the prostate cancer that Ben had removed, that he didn't ejaculate. So how, when you say Ben's sperm met my body, oh, just give yes. us a bit of an indication as to how that happens. 
Well, if it was up to me, I would have had a turkey baster at home. We would have had candles in a ceremony and we would have shot it up there myself. However, because we only have minimal sperm, that seems a little risky. Um, and I seriously have considered it over the years because I'm not really a hospital gal. Um, however, it is a risky operation. So we basically do that in a very, um, a very measured way. So it's called IUI, which I was very passionate about going through before IVF. There's no judgment IVF and we, very, we are very close to moving to that stage for our second child. However, for me, it was the most natural process. There was no hormones involved at that point. And it was essentially ovulation tracking with um, help from the beautiful um, nurses and doctors uh, at the women's in Sydney. And we would go and find the spike, the half day spike, which is, it's the, you know, it's not a very long time that you actually have to have the egg meet the sperm and then you strike. So blood tests and um, you have blood tests and internal tests every second day for about 10 days of your month. And then it takes about two weeks in total, but it's very, it's less invasive in terms of sometimes medication and surgery but it's really full-on in terms of your life so you have to be in the hospital for nine o'clock every second day to test and then when they say it's ready you have half a day to kind of get everything sorted and you're there so if you're working or there's other situations I was working for myself so we could make that work which is why I'm sure a lot of people go to IVF but um, we've done that eight times um, and the first time we had a miscarriage that had its own level of grief and also that despair. Like it, it's, it's, it's an experience in itself, let alone how shocking and quick it was. And I also lost a very high profile job within the same kind of three or four months of that time. So it was a pretty full on time for me. And then on our fourth attempt, we then started to take some extra hormones to strengthen eggs and do all of those kinds of things which is always a bit of a tricky one for us to navigate because it isn't my infertility and I actually am quite fertile for my age. So those decisions are always very difficult because I often get put in the, in the, um, the aisle of women that may be infertile or struggling, which is fine, but it, it isn't always relevant. The advice doesn't always come relevant and they move through those appointments so quick. And I often have to say, Oh yeah, but you know, that, I don't know if that applies to me. Can you just make sure? Because it's actually my husband's infertility. So that's an ongoing conversation. I constantly have to remind them that it's not actually my infertility. It's a bizarre situation. And so on the 4th, we were almost ready to go to IVF. And then we conceived our baby boy, Bryn, who is two. <laughs> and um, yeah, that's just a wild ride. And I am grateful every day. And he is exactly why we waited and exactly why we went through all of this and I hope and I'm sure if we were to do this again which we're in the process of trying to I know that it will all be worth it again but it does come a point where the last few times trying in a pandemic and going through all of this stuff you know I've said to Ben before we will move to IVF if we need and you know we will continue this journey however there is there's a there's a stop for me it's incredibly um, it, it really affects my mental health. Um, not just the hormones, but the consistent, relentless, it becomes a bit of, it's like your ambition. And it's not, I'm not earning money from it. I'm not getting 
joy from it and I know it will be worth it. I'm not saying I won't, but it's like how, yeah, it's tricky that there is, has to be a line. And I'm, I'm privileged to say that because I have a child. Um, but those conversations are really important to have if you're in this boat. And we had them before we had Bryn too. Like, what does our marriage look like without children? How, how will we make that work? And how do we start to get to the steps of accepting that so we can surrender this process fully? So we got there. We, we record a podcast tracking this fertility journey and that was the final episode of season one is what if it doesn't happen? Yeah, and I'm sure that each, each step that you take requires a different and new conversation. Um, so it wouldn't be appropriate to say like, how do you get through it? What do you tell yourself? I guess it has to go back to, you know, after the first miscarriage, how did you hold yourself through that? How did you pick yourself back up and say, all right, let's go again? Timing. I think you soften, you heal. I wasn't in any rush. Um, and we, I tried to inject good, you know, not to distract, but to even out. And I was going through grief with... Um, a business partner separation, not just a job, which was very, very personal and was going through the grief of losing my first child. So it was just, it was, it was unbearable at times in terms of the level of it. And I will never, ever forget how surprising the pain was from a, a little spirit that you had never met. Like I, I, and I know anyone listening to this that has lost a baby before they met the earth side. Um, it's just, it is the most shocking and surprising, surprising more than shocking because you're kind of shocked already at the whole process. Then you continue to be surprised at how deep it is and how, because yeah, how it, it's in you in a way that is like nothing else, like, something's planted in you that my cells were changed because of that implantation, because of that conception. So you're never the same yet. You don't have the outside proof of what you experienced in your body. So you don't only go through grief, but you go through this grief that feels almost like imposter syndrome of grief. It's ridiculous. And yeah, it, it was really unique and then piled on with all the other stuff, which now looking back, maybe it was to help me get through that because that felt like nothing compared to the miscarriage, but it was a lot. So I think time, I think being ugly and angry and unattractive in that was really important. And I credit, I don't want to credit Ben, like the kind of credit when you're like, oh, he's so hands-on, he's so amazing. Like he babysits his own kid. Like I'm not crediting him from that perspective because yeah, of course, partners need to show up for each other. But my trauma and my demons and my um, shadows show up really aggressively. And so that's not, that's not very pleasant for a person holding space. And at times it was impossible for him to hold space because the entire survival mechanism for me was to push him so far that he ran. So yeah, I'm, I'm not going to sugarcoat that year. We got married in that year. We eloped to New York. So we injected incredible memories. However, it was, it was pretty dark at times. 
Yeah, I can only even, I can only imagine because, you know, as you say, you lost the miracle baby and the thought is how could we lose the miracle baby? And then it was another three attempts. I'm understanding from what you're saying until you conceived Bryn, three, yeah. And can I just add something to that? I think as well, it may not be all women. It may not, it may be some men, but for me, that baby was like, 35 years in the making like I was a young girl who wanted children that's not everyone and it doesn't have to be everyone but already as the society says we should want that so there's already pressure from that perspective but I genuinely wanted and yearned to be a mother for a very long time and very very deeply through my single life before I met Ben so that grief I think almost comes this miracle baby also comes not just from the miracle of Ben's illness, but it comes from being a woman that was yearning for that in a society that it wasn't happening for for a long time, right? I was single for six or so years and I was in a crappy relationship where I wanted a baby in that one too. So it's loaded and it's loaded for women. That's, I think, the most underspoken about issue with this is that if it's not just when you decide, it's like those memories when you play dolls or it's like innately in a lot of us. Not everyone, again, I can't, I cannot stress that enough, but for me, it was, it really was. And so, yeah, the shock and the the grief of that was very loaded too. And I think it is loaded for many of us. Yeah. And I want to use your story as, um, you know, the invitation for permission for it to bring up whatever is real for each person. And I would love you to share about, as you talked about, there was your personal journey and then there was Ben's personal journey. And then there's the journey of the dynamic of the couple going through their, their individual journeys together and as a unit. So talk us through, you know, the, the, you put it like this when we talked earlier about the hidden bombs that go off in the fertility journey. Yeah, there's been some this week, Eve, and I was actually thinking, but just as I was sitting down, I was like, am I going to tell that story? Um, The hidden bombs. So I feel like, yeah, I think the first that's coming to mind was certainly through the conception journey for our second, which was last year. And we had sperm in a different state to the state we lived in because we moved and we had the idea that we would live, you know, fairly freely between both states because my husband is from Sydney and I lived there for a long time. I birthed my child in our home there. It's very special to us and will always be an extension of our family. But my family's in Melbourne and we were up for a change. So we moved to Melbourne in the middle of a pandemic with our sperm being in Sydney. And so the logistics of that, do I even need to say much more? But we did three rounds last year of me traveling to Sydney because the system here in Melbourne is so horrifically um, underdeveloped and horrifically underfinanced. Like there's, you know, women's health is just really unfortunately quite a shocking state in Victoria, which I had no idea about. Not many people necessarily even compare state to states in terms of these things either. So it's not like I'd had this conversation with somebody. So we had no real go at having a chance here. So, you know, we had to go to Sydney. So we had three goes. And on the last one, my we overstimulated me, which was kind of my driver. I thought if we're going to go to IVF, let's turn this up. Now, again, 
that sounds like a great idea if it's your infertility, but I have eggs, people. <laughs> so we turned up the teeniest bit, but then we got too many and you can't trigger at the risk of triplets, blah, blah, blah. So it's a, it was a cancelled situation. But then what happened was is when I got there and it was cancelled, it was already a really tricky time to go because Sydney was starting to have a really big wave of COVID and already it was risky for me to go. I have a toddler here. I have a life here. And so I made the decision. I've injected myself for a week. I'm not wasting this. Like I can't possibly just pull out now and have all of these hormones in me for nothing. So I went, that was canceled and that was devastating in itself. But then what happened was Sydney, Melbourne locked Sydney out. So I came home and was basically like a fugitive from Melbourne and was locked into the, into the house for two weeks in isolation and quarantine because I'd come from a place that was locked down. But locked down, not when I left. Locked down while I was literally in my appointment. So look, everyone's done quarantine. I think a lot of people have done lockdown. Not everyone's done quarantine. And I found that time... Oh, it was so confronting. I think because I was left with my thoughts in that, I went a bit batty. I found myself reading books and going down this road of like almost like freedom escapism and not just the kind that you think, oh, I want to really eat dinner with my friends. I started to go through uh, sexuality expression. Who am I really? What kind of things do I yearn for? Who am I? What's my future? Like I had a real crisis and that was so unexpected you know these things have been I'm open to all walk, all different things that you explore in your life but it certainly hasn't been something that I had looked at exploring in terms of my sexuality or that kind of essence of what freedom looked like in my marriage there were so many questions I was asking that symbolized freedom which were just all of these different things for me to distract from the fact that I felt incredibly sad and incredibly locked up and so I worked through some stuff Ben and I had some very interesting conversations and it was so interesting to think this fertility journey could take us into this whole other realm of conversation about marriage and what would what would what would things look like in 20 years and it was so confronting to think that all of a sudden those things are coming up around a child and something you're trying to conceive which is traditionally the opposite you know we've never discussed any of these kinds of things before so it was just very bizarre and I worked through it with a therapist and we also worked through I guess this idea of the other bomb I guess in that was having to have some acceptance of not having that number of kids that you saw like you know everybody's like how many kids do you want when you're like 16 or I don't know when you're you might meet someone everyone's like oh you are you a person that wants a big family or so we've got this kind of notion of what that looks like really early and I always had this idea of four children so I was also going through this grief as I turned into a year that I turned 39 and this second child was you know again going to be a fairly big process if you know it resulted in a baby and I found myself grieving this idea of what a family looked like. And it just, yeah, it's bomb after bomb. You know, these things were things that, A, I think I do go through because I am the person I am. Having said that, it's just so surprising. 
like the, the different areas of your life that comes out. And it goes back to the exact thing I said at the beginning. You might not think you relate to a fertility journey, but they're all themes, you know, and, and mine have brought out whew, some real colorful ones. Yeah. yeah. And it's all about, you know, how these funny little experiences come out that are ultimately just, if we would appeal the layers away and, you know, kind of not need to bring some action or a doing or a behavior to it underneath it is just a really hard feeling, you know, of, of sadness or grief and anger and shame and resentment and all of that kind of stuff. And I know that, you know, this incarnation of, of the bomb was only one of those bombs because we talked about the fact, the fact that, you know, you were having to hold yourself through some difficult emotions that made you even question your own character. Why am I feeling these things? Am I allowed to feel these feelings with regards to, you know, Ben? And as we talked about the fact that it wasn't a conventional way of conceiving a child. So can you talk us through that just to kind of bring it, you know, give it a stage so that people can say, well, you know, I also have these kind of what I would call it, you know, I'm talking on their behalf, like ugly thoughts or whatever it is, because they're not like, you know, high vibration, magnanimous thoughts. Mm. Well, I guess it goes back to when I, <laughs> such a funny, it's a big sentence, but when I masturbated, I would think about conceiving a child naturally. Like that was what would I thought it was such a spiritual experience. It was that I would be with somebody magical and, you know, really very openly talking about that part of my life uh, those types of conversations are things that I've had very publicly and you know and and go into great detail in the book but what that means was is that when I met my partner who couldn't conceive with me naturally there begins this grief that feels really um feels really you feel really guilty for the things that you end up feeling uncomfortable by and you feel guilty because you love the other person and the other person was ill. But then you also feel this uh, sense of, um, I don't know, going back to that idea of doing all the work that you're supposed to constantly be surrendering and accepting whatever it is that is coming for you. But we skip the steps, right? We want to sk skip the part where we feel unattractive or we feel shameful, as you said. And we go into either distraction or we lash out or, you know, we go into all these things when we do that. So I think the things that I felt most shameful about at the time that I had to process was um, I found at times when we would go through grief and I would go through grief that I never really felt like there was a space for me to have that, uh, completely seen because when someone else is feeling like they've caused your pain it's almost impossible for them to fully see you in your pain because they're looking away it's so hard for them to look at you when they feel like they've caused that for you so then the byproduct of that is you never feel seen in it and then ripple out all kinds of irrational you know unattractive behavior because you just want attention you just want to be seen as a full person and that's so complex in those moments I can 
articulate this now after the fact, but going through it, it was just both so hard for us individually. And there's no way I would have been able to really understand the depths. However, I kind of did. But how do you say to someone, you know, you, you know, even if you would say things to someone and I would say it to Ben, I would tell him this. I'd be like, I don't feel you're really seeing me because you're too far in your own pain. It doesn't take someone out of their pain. Like you can articulate it when you get there and you can be super emotionally intelligent. That doesn't rush someone through their processing. So no matter how much I tried to converse once I even understood what I was feeling, that doesn't change the individual that you're speaking to's journey in their own pain with this. So then you layer on patience and surrender and love and acceptance for their journey as well as the, the whole experience for yourself and for both of you. But what were you feeling, Stace? Because I know that, you know, we've, we've talked about, you know, this isn't my infertility. So that brought up, I know for you, some, some thoughts that, you know, you reflected to me, made you feel shameful that you were feeling those things about Ben and about the difficulty in conceiving. I feel like at times, I mean, I felt angry that I wasn't given that kind of full, and when I say attention, it's not that I want to do a tap dance and I want him to watch me the whole time. You know, I'm not looking for that style of attention, but I energetically, I wanted him to really be there when I was in my pain. And so it felt so selfish of him. However, on the flip, and so that made me just feel so um, guilty that I would feel that he was selfish when he was the one that had cancer, you know? So it, it never is one thing. Like I could never say to you in one sentence, it felt like this, the end, because it was too, in, it's too raveled in. It, it is my feeling, but it's so intertwined with Ben in ways. It hasn't always been, but in this example that we're talking about, it really is. And so you you feel what you feel and then a lot of the time you're feeling like, say, for example, hurt or frustrated. There might have been a doctor at the hospital that has said to you once again, oh, maybe when you go on holidays, you'll be able to, you know, have some fun and you never know. You know, those people that would be working on our file would say things like that to me. And I'd be like, are you joking? Like, that's in a freezer. You need to come on holidays with me, lady. Like, I've worked with you for three months on this. Like, how do you say something like that? And so then you come home and there's just a whole heap of things you're going through because it's your experience. You're at the hospital, you're doing the needles, you're having the dildo up, put up you for scans. And then you say this happened and he's at work or he's doing something and doesn't give you full attention. It's just infuriating. And it's infuriating because you feel like at times, he, he, this happened because of him, but it didn't as well. So it, the instant you feel that, the instant of shame and guilt follows because it's not a fact, but that doesn't change the fact that you felt it, even if it was for a millisecond. And then you are met with the facts that aren't actually truth because feelings don't always have to be true. They, well, they are true in what they are for you, but the information 
off what you felt isn't true. You know, it isn't something he did. It isn't something he chose. And you are met with then all of this other stuff you have to deal with. And that leads you to, you know, fundamentally tipping away your self-worth, tipping away your confidence because you feel shit about the thing, the very thing that you felt about the person you love. And there it begins again and again and again. It was like, it's, it's like a hamster wheel, those things. This year we seem to be dealing with things a little differently. I don't know. We feel like we've met, we've met at a bit of a peaceful spot, but um, you know, time will tell. Yeah. So I guess the, the take home is, we've explored the complexities and that spiral that can happen of I'm feeling resentment towards, you know, my husband's cancer. What, how am I having resentment towards that? You know, like. It's actually really interesting you say that because in therapy, when we started looking at cancer as a thing, not as him, and he started looking at it, not as him, it was much more helpful for us to work through a lot together because it isn't him and it's not him and it's certainly not him now and it wasn't him then it's something that happened to him but those kinds of things take time to get to and it took therapy for us to get there too but when you speak like that it's it's so poignant and accurate of how it is a bit of a separation but in the moment it does take it does take time to get there yeah, because it is, it's about your needs, his needs, him seeing you in yours, you having the shame around the, even the internal conversation that you're have, having of, a, I'll never be as sick as Ben was. It's all, always be about him and, and the cancer. And what about me? And I'm going through this because of it. And, you know, gosh, like, and then the very minute that that thought bubbles up, then you're beating yourself up about the shame of having that thought and then having to navigate that. So am I hearing you say that the way through it for you and Ben was therapy um one part again I don't know if we would have gotten here any earlier and I'm just grateful that we are still here because it is so hard and I've heard many couples actually end up separating when they go through IVF or infertility Um, and I can completely understand how that happens because like we've explained and talked about today there's so many complexities that it's just sometimes becomes a bit of a cyclone that you can't separate everything. Like we've done that now. So I would say psychology and therapy is one part, but I would say a lot of individual work has been very important because like I mentioned, I could be doing work and doing all the kinds of things. We could be doing couples therapy, but if Ben's not doing the work on himself, then nothing is integrating. So there's three parts here. And also I think, um, it would be unfair for me to say that we've also reached this point without mentioning that we had a baby. Mm. You know, I can't Mm. even, I don't know what would have happened if, you know, I'd like to think that we may have called it a day and continued on with our lives, but I don't know, as you, as I've said and shared, I I definitely wanted a family. So um, there's a whole heap of factors that have brought us to, I guess, a much more peaceful place today that you find me in and probably even more peaceful than when we spoke last, you and I personally, um, things just have seemed to calmed down a bit. And I, I do think a combo of the things we just said, psychology therapy, individual work, as well as in teamwork. And, you know, that gratitude of the fact that we were 
um, able to meet a little person. And so we, not just because we have a baby, but because he injects joy into our life every single day. Yeah. And that definitely, you can't, we can't, I can't deny that. And I can't not acknowledge the fact that people don't have that. And I think that's really important and, you know, can be hard for people to listen to if they're not in a relationship like yours where you're doing the work, he's doing the work and you're both meeting in the middle because that is not a typical combo. And, you know, there's that that classic line of the, the most I can do for you is work on myself and the most that you can do for me is work on yourself, <laughs> you know, and you both are doing that. And I think that maybe it's not typical. I think it can sometimes be that there's one person in the relationship that is trying is doing the work and is trying to get the other to do Mm -hmm. the work knowing that that's the only way forward so I'm wondering what your reflections are on that when it comes to that resilience piece Mm. well you you come in with different journeys too I had done a whole heap of work on myself a whole heap of study and then moved into um, a lot of the work in my career so I, we had different levels. Like Ben is quite, um, he's, he's one of the ones that does do a fair bit of work, but compared to me, it would be, it's very hard to stack, you know, because it, since I was 16, I'd been doing this kind of work. So there's definitely been times where it's relative a little, you know, like you might be someone that's starting work, but your partner's not doing any. I'd had 20 years of work and Ben really began his work when he fell sick. So that wasn't even 10 years ago. So um I guess for me, I had to keep choosing the marriage. I had to keep choosing him and I had to keep choosing myself. Now that sounds really vague, but once I chose all these things, it kind of somehow gives you resilience. It's like the, the, the recipe. But if you're not choosing those things, I'm not saying you accept everything and you say you like all the parts of it, but you have to still choose it even when you don't like the parts. And I think this is a big thing with marriage too, what I'm learning. And I'm definitely not onto the book yet, but it will come. It's just not now because I don't know enough. But I'm learning that you have to, every day you have to choose it even when it isn't necessarily the way you thought it would be the way you thought they would be, the way you wanted them to be in that moment. And that is up to you. It's not up to them. Not You need to choose them as they are. And you need to choose the marriage as it is. And it may be work in progress. It may be exactly what it is, whatever stage you're at. And then you have to choose yourself in amongst that. So you have to like yourself and choose yourself by choosing those things too. So I think that's where you get resilience is if those things continue to be choices, resilience follows. Yeah. And I think that's super, super important because I read a lot about relationships and um, have, have these kind of conversations with a lot of people in different kinds of relationships. And I think, you know, there's this whole thing of, you know, you need to accept it as it is. You need to choose it for what it is and accept them for how they are and not for what they could be and all like, And I'm like, yes, but it has to come from 
a very anchored place of self-worth because it's like, I can accept you and I can accept this, but I also don't accept, you know, um, avoidant behavior and emotional abuse. And therefore I totally accept you and I accept that, but I don't, I don't choose that for me and for us and for this dynamic. And that has to come from a real um, awareness of where that acceptance is coming from. You know, I think that's, yeah, I, I think I, I think I understand what you're saying. I think for me, I could not accept things, but I could choose still. Are we saying mm-hmm. the same thing? Yes. I feel like, yeah, that that I would choose it even if I didn't accept it. Yes, because you're coming from a place still of self-respect. Yeah. It's not, yeah, yeah it's not. And also that I didn't, th- and, and maybe in a year, I wouldn't choose it because I didn't accept it. And it mm. went on for a lot. Well, you know what I mean? Like, so I think when you don't accept, but you still choose you, there's, there's love there. There's things there that there's foundations. There's a whole heap of other things that may be about that you're liking and loving other than the thing that you don't accept, you know, so you choose. But I think sometimes all of a sudden people didn't just go, okay, I don't choose you. And then there is no resilience because it's over and that's okay too. Mm. Well, the resilience is just transferred into a different oh, place. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's taken away and now you're going into the other. Yeah, the yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and so just, you know, also another really important piece I just feel is um, to ask you how you navigate how you navigate and have navigated the world of, because you've talked about this a lot for yourself, of, what you wanted versus what was really happening. And then you have all of these environmental uh, factors that are happening outside of you that are reminding you, wait, you don't have the thing that you want, like your friends falling pregnant and those kinds of things. How did you navigate that? Were you just like happy for them um, and like, great, I'm on my own journey? Or did did that require a level of compassion and patience within yourself? Oh God, it definitely comes back to the friendships you choose. I think, again, it's like the same as a marriage. The choice of that person is going to really influence the way that you're able to respond to those situations. So for example, my best friend um, fell pregnant a couple months after, would it have been a couple? Yeah, after I fell pregnant with the baby I miscarried. So we kind of thought, and it was her second, so we thought, oh my God, goodness I was single for so long and she had been married for a while so we thought we would never do this at the same time and our friendship wasn't really built on those things like we're going to be mums at you know whatever we were just very respectful and loving of what our paths were but then this happened and it was like oh my this is the best and then I miscarried and there just had to be an honest conversation about how the next kind of year was for me. It wasn't so much the pregnancy and the birth. It was more around other people she was connecting with and doing the same things that we thought we would do with, you know, so other friends that had kids that the same age as the baby that I'd miscarried and the same age as her bubba. And so I remember one time we were on a trip. There was another friend of ours with us. There was three of us in a pub one day. And I forget what it what triggered me, but I just started slurping furiously in my drink. And 
and I think someone had said something about this particular um, relationship she was in that sharing these similar kind of mother things with, which I obviously was no longer able to have. And I was slurping in this drink and I was so happy because I really liked these other people too. So it was, again, this guilty, weird thing because I was so happy for her, especially when anyone that knows you go through motherhood and not any of your besties are pregnant. You need those people in your life. So there was love there. But in this moment, for some reason, I was just slurping this water. And then the other friend said to me, oh, my God, Stacey, you're going to actually eat that straw. And my, I realized my jaw had locked. My whole body had gone into proper fight or flight and I bolted to the toilet and I broke down. Like I just, I couldn't, and I couldn't go back out there and not have the, one of the hardest conversations I've ever had, which was I'm happy for you and I'm sad for me. And we had to have that talk. And she had to say things back to me of how she probably missed me in things. You know, there was, it was so hard, but we did it. And the only reason we did it was because I choose her and she's worth my vulnerability. She's safe with my vulnerability and she's worth me going to that, that pain for. It's not her fault, but I wanted to show up for her. And I said to her, this is going to be one of the hardest conversations I've had, but it, if we don't have it, I don't know which direction our friendship goes. You know, like I don't want, we have shared everything. I don't want this to be the thing that, takes a different course for us so I did it so I think it is really going to be dependent on what the foundations of those relationships are if there's a friend from work that kind of already bugs you yeah that's going to piss you off it's just that's just the way it is they bug you already you don't have the investment in them to find the love for it and that's okay because they were already bugging you if there's a really deep friendship that you find difficult, I guess my this is going to be difficult for me to say and probably difficult for someone to hear, but I question those foundations, you know, and I question the kinds of ways you go into difficult things because these things are really evident when this stuff shows up. So I don't know if my friend was ready for that, but I took her there. She held my hand and showed up the whole way and we are better for it. Stace, you make me, I have a little cry in my throat because I'm just so, you know, you're so inspiring. You, you, I just feel so proud of you and your grace because you show up for the heart. And this is what really the essence of this conversation has been about. Just listening to you going, I go in, I go in, I go in, I go inside me, I go inside hard conversations and I go in as me. And I hold other people to that same standard, which is of the truth of the now. And what I've been really reflecting on is that, you know, my background is, is a journalist, so I know how to ask questions. And it's been a really interesting journey for me because we had a little pre-interview because I wanted to kind of get like the nuts and bolts of the story. And the answers that you gave me in the pre-interview are not, not like what you've given me today because you show up today. And you allow yourself to change. And so I was like, yeah, but go back and say the thing that you said to me two weeks ago. And it's obviously just not relevant because, you know, I asked it a couple of different ways and I was like, oh, we didn't really get there. All right. Well, because that's not true to you anymore. And I think that is, that goes to speak to 
the work that you're doing in every moment to be honest with where you're at. And that is what creates resilience, not shying away from all oh, this is difficult. It's difficult now, but now that I've gone through that bit in that way, in my flawed way, in my, who knows what that's going to bring up in me or the next one or whatever it is. And just allowing for it allows you to keep landing on more and more and more truths and allowing those truths to be imperfect, unfinished all of the yeah. time. I think as well, the fertility journey is ever-changing in every hour, especially when you're in it. So when we spoke, I was in a completely different place um, in terms of that journey. And I think when you haven't experienced it before, I mean, anybody that has even tried for a baby, you know, the two-week wait is like you have sex, you try and have a baby, and then two weeks later, your life can be different. Then add fertility journey in there, drugs, appointments, conversations cancelled social events different you know there's so many things that go into that period of time that you of course you're going to be different and if I was trying to be then I wouldn't be further closer to meeting what I want to meet you know you have to keep going with it so that's probably a reason too you know I think all of the things you say is is it really resonates with me and I do show up every day as I am and I, I'm very proud of encouraging in my membership as well for that to be the case I think everyone's like oh we join a membership now we're in a school and I need to do all this every day and I need to do my homework it's like you don't know what your body's going to ask you for you from you that day you know and I learned that through this process and I will continue to use it as fuel for my life rather than have it weigh me down and burn me out, you know? And there's been times where that's happened. I've explained those two, but I also am in this place today. And that's, that's nice. Yeah. And I think that, you know, what you do so gracefully that it can be missed is that you say things with such fierce conviction and yet there's a question mark at the same <laughs> time, you know, it's like, cause you know, and I could change my mind in five minutes and you're totally cool with that. And I think that is the, <laughs> that is the basis for resilience. You know what I mean? Because you are allowing everything to unfold of like, this is true for me. Like, <laughs> you know, but you're not saying it like that. It's more just like, you know, and I'm open for that to change. And I'm open yeah. for that to, to find a new layer. And, yeah. you know, I think <clears throat> the major take home for me has been what, do I choose? What is worth it for me? Right? Because oftentimes we can, that can be disguised in it's uncomfortable, therefore I don't choose it. Or that's really hard, so I don't choose it. But it's not about that. There's a real truth of what you choose that requires and that promotes, that invites the worthiness of going into the hard, of going, I'm, we're going to have to have this conversation because for this friendship to be authentic and for it to last for me to honor myself and honor my friend and it actually shows respect for your friend that you mm. believe she could stand up and and hold that space and be in that space you're actually giving people a gift with your vulnerability and with <clears throat> with your self-respect so um, I think that you have exemplified the epitome of resilience um, and so thank you thank you for sharing all of that and for being so generous with your story and for being a pioneer um, in terms of, you know, shedding the light on the story of fertility, which is, ha has always been very common, mm. feels more common now because people are talking about it more. 
Mm. And it's because of people like you and it, it touches so many people's lives and it sits in the pit of, you know, the fear, the fear pouch in so many people's tummies. <laughs> yeah, thank you for seeing the resilience in it. I think even that word is kind of described, I think, around people that may have had, I don't know, different things happen in their life. And when you, you've used it in the context of this particular part of my life, I, um, I feel uncomfortable because you compare, but I agree. You know, I, 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 I'm receiving. I was, when you were saying all those things, I kept telling myself, receive, receive, like, and I, um, yeah, you need big resilience, but it is one of those things that I'm in it. So I don't think about it like that, but um, I'm, I'm very appreciative that you have acknowledged that. Of course. You are such a guiding light and I love you so much. Is there anything that you wanted to share before we say goodbye? No, just that you look so radiant. Oh, really? Yeah, you do. Thanks. Receive, receive. <laughs> <laughs> she gets her ponytail and she's like, I can remember that. that. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> it's the beginning of my day. I have a pep in my step for the rest of the day. <laughs> uh, no, that's all. You really do. You really Thank did. you, my love. And I know that you have to run off to look after your beautiful ray of sunshine, Brinny. Give yeah. Ben a big hug. Um, you know, he's a champion as well. And um, just tell us how we can listen to your podcast and access your incredible wisdom. Well, at the moment, the podcast isn't on hiatus. Oh, however, the, um, the, all of the episodes that we've had from uh, Bijou Baby, formerly known as Couple Goals, is there so if you have listened to this and it is fertility journey you're interested in hearing more about Ben and I have shared two seasons of our journey um with this and it does feel like a little personal diary I don't even feel I'm a podcaster from way back so I'm used to promoting but I forget about this podcast because it does feel very like we've used it as therapy and used it as a bit of a journal for ourselves so you'll be able to hear Ben on there and we talk um, at length on these themes and these this journey and you hear it in real time you know my miscarriage you hear all those things we share it in real time um, but the wellhub.com.au is where you can where I live at the moment um, and where all of our offerings are beautiful yeah I love it the well is such a beautiful um, name when I when I saw you launch that I was like wow because here in Israel where I live there are these women's groups called the well that have been around oh, yeah because women used to gather around the well mm -hmm, to have their little chat scalalas and um, there are women that meet all the women's groups meet like every month like your little full moon ceremony um, and they meet around like the theme of that month in the Jewish calendar year and oh. they're all called the well different versions of the well so you pulled that it's one amazing. out beautiful space yeah I've always had the Jew girl in me like we know this <laughs> <laughs> amazing my love thank you so much my gorge all right well that is it from the Trace and Stace episode today there is so much that conversations like this can do to help people feel seen and supported and unlock ways of thinking that can both comfort and empower us to make the changes that will set us free from struggle. So please share this podcast with anyone you think could benefit from it. And if you'd like to connect further and join the Home of Sapiens community where I share pocket-sized insights and reminders, follow me on Instagram at home.of.sapien 
or on my personal page at Tracy Alexander underscore underscore. Also, if you're looking for some support for your nervous system to calm your mind and restore your body so that you can feel safe inside of yourself and be able to actually integrate new belief structures, head to my website, that's www.tracyalexander.co and sign up for my alignment system. You can also subscribe to my newsletter on my website and receive weekly updates and inspirational articles to help you create greater alignment in your life. All right, don't forget that you are amazing. Give yourself a big hug from me. I've got you, but most of all, you've got you. And let's keep changing the world one heart-led soul at a time.